Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark Sayers, as always. How are you, Mark? Good, yourself? Yep, pretty great, um, even though it's quite cold here in Australia. Mm, it's freezing. Yep. Yeah. And we've had to turn the uh, heater off because we're recording, so fun of that. Today we are joined by Rob Reamer. Rob, how are you going over there? You're in New York? Uh, that's true, and I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to ask the very boring question of how is the weather over there? Today it was 95. Uh, wow. So what's that in Celsius? It's oh, probably 30 35, 36, 37. 37 yeah. maybe. Really? Yeah. yeah. And really humid. Oh, how I long for that warmth right now. Mm. Well, um, I hope you get the opportunity to enjoy it. You're inside at the moment. Uh, Rob Reamer, if you are not familiar with him, he well, he's actually Dr. Rob Reamer, and he is an associate professor at Alliance Theological Seminary in New York. Uh, you founded an organization called Renewal International. Um, how long has that been around for, Rob? Oh, so we founded it probably seven years ago or something. Okay, great. And it is founded to assist leaders in all things leadership. Yeah, uh, so, just yep. on renewal, that's thus yep. the name, but that's my passion, so. Yeah, which is why you two connect very well in terms of what you're talking about. So, such a privilege to have you uh, on Rebuilders today. We're going to explore all things spiritual authority, which is very much linked to renewal. Uh, I'm just going to kick right in with a question, if you're happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, as we've already mentioned, you have a real heart for renewal. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Where did that come from? How was it birthed? Yeah, so when I was 24 years old, um, I should back up. When I was 19 years old, I really surrendered my life to Christ. And when I surrendered my life to Christ, I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit where I had this unusual blast of God's love. And honestly, it rocked my world, completely turned everything upside down. And in that moment, I knew I was called to ministry. And so honestly, I thought, man, if more people had this encounter with God, instead of just experiencing church as normal that I grew up with, more people would be all in for Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of fired me up. Then um, when I, I went to seminary, while I was at seminary, I spent, you know, just that afternoon alone with God praying. And while I was there, I sensed the Lord say to me, you're going to plant a church. Uh, it was a cell church. You're going to teach at seminary. You're going to write books and you're going to speak to leaders internationally. Everything you do, do for renewal. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the, the baseline. I said to the Lord that day, I will do whatever you ask me to do, but I'll never open my own doors. You have to open the door and I'll walk through it because I didn't want ambition to mm -hmm. sort of lead the way. I wanted the spirit to lead the way. And I wanted my character and intimacy to be able to sustain whatever the Lord was leading me into. Mm -hmm. And I, I figured if I led the way, that wouldn't happen, you know. So yeah. uh, that really made a big difference. To be honest, I was a little bit passive. I thought it would just happen. And then it didn't just happen. Revival didn't just take place. And so that's when God started getting after me to say, you know, you're not passive about anything else in your life. Why are you passively waiting around for this to take place? You need to get engaged. Mm -hmm. And that kind of really lit a fire under me. So that's kind of the series of events that led to it. 
Mm. Great. And you've written a number of books, as you as you mentioned there, Rob. And one particularly that we've been really sort of digesting uh, here at Red is is your book, Spiritual Authority, um, which we've just found a fantastic resource. And we'd love to ask you about this idea of spiritual authority. I actually wanted to bounce off something you just said as well. You talked about um, ambition and not wanting to, mm-hmm. I guess, push push the envelope in your own power. Um, I guess many of the people listening to this podcast are leaders and, and many of them are young and the world is filled with messages around ambition. Um, yeah. how, you know, what, why is spiritual authority important um, and how does it relate to renewal and how does it bounce off, I guess, ambition as well in that sense? Like what's the difference between ambition and when we've got spiritual authority? Yeah, so uh, several thoughts on that. First, um, Jesus' leadership model is a spiritual leadership model, not a business leadership model with a little bit of token uh, nod to integrity or intimacy with God. But, you know, basically the leadership model in the church that's most taught today is actually a business leadership model with a a Jesus cherry on the top, right? You know, Mm -hmm. so it's like a Sunday with a little cherry on top. And our cherry is, you know, be a good person and pray. And that's kind of the leadership model that I was taught. And listen, I'm not against business leadership books. I've read hundreds of business leadership books. I think you can learn wisdom from that. But it's not the model of spiritual authority and spiritual leadership that is taught in the Bible or that Jesus modeled for us. So, you know, really, honestly, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and uh, I was I had this call to renewal. And I sense the Lord saying to me, as I just said, that I couldn't be passive about it anymore. So one night, wake up in the middle of the night, and I heard the audible voice of God say to me, you need to learn spiritual authority. It's the yeah. only time I ever heard God's audible voice. And uh, he said to me, I'm going to teach you authority. And that led me down this road. So I knew there was something different that needed to be learned. And so I really studied Moses and Jesus and some spiritual leaders in the Bible to try to figure out what was underneath authority. What did spiritual authority really look like? And then to answer your other piece about ambition. So a lot of times self gets in the mix with our leadership. And Jesus line is you must die to self in order to live, truly live, to experience the abundant and true life. And so, you know, part of the leadership journey is figuring out how to die to self so that Christ can be formed in us. And so that was part of the journey for me. That's why ambition has always been something that I've had to be careful for because I have a lot of passion. And the most passionate people I know tend to be the most ambitious people I know. (laughs) Yeah, good to, to heed that. Um, you, it's interesting, we're using the word authority a lot and, um, obviously language can be quite loaded. The term authority can, um, come across as quite negative to a lot of people. Um, what's the difference between authority and being authoritarian? Yeah. So authoritarian or authoritative is usually considered domineering, right? So it's Mm -hmm. actually when someone usually with ambition and pride starts to turn up the power notches on their life. And now they start to control versus spiritual authority is really 
using someone else's power, right? Authority is the right to use someone else's power. It's like a police officer, right? They're standing in the middle of the road. They put their hand up. What does everybody do? They stop. Why? You're driving a, a big car. You could easily have more power than they have, but they have the power of the government behind them. And yeah. we stop because of the badge represents the power of the government. And that's mm. why we stop. That's authority. And so, you know, really authority is the right to use Jesus' power, and, you know, Jesus gave his disciples authority to heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so we have to learn how to use authority. Otherwise, there's going to be a proclamation of the gospel without a demonstration. Mm-hmm. And that in the New Testament never happens. There's never a proclamation of the gospel of the New Testament without a demonstration of power. That mm-hmm. is never heard of in the New Testament. That is a Western concept. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not not far from here, um, about 15 minutes that way is the police academy here in, in Melbourne. I'm just thinking of your analogy of, of a police um, officer who has power conferred on them by, by the state. And um, so for many, I guess, people listening, there's a sense where they're hearing what you're saying. I, I want, you know, I want to have that spiritual authority. I think there's lots of people who feel that sense of, you know, we're coming to the end of the business models not working, you know, in that sense, because not cutting through in a secular culture. Um, for those who are wanting to gain spiritual authority, does it does it happen like in an event or do they need to go on a process? Um, so like I think of the police academy forms people and processes people into being police officers. How, how does it work in that sense? Yeah, so the line that I use in the book, Mark, and that I really felt like the Lord was revealing to me through Moses and Jesus is this. Spiritual authority is rooted in identity. It's expanded mm-hmm. in intimacy and it's activated by faith. And that's a process. That's not an event, right? Mm-hmm. So Moses is kind of my touch point for the beginning lesson of this. But if you think about the story in Exodus 17, right? So Moses is up on a hillside. Joshua's down below fighting the battle. You remember the story. As long as Moses has his hands lifted up with the rod of authority in his hand, Joshua's winning the battle. The moment he lowers mm-hmm. his hands, Joshua starts to lose. And I always think about this story in real human terms. I doubt Moses noticed this right away, right? He's an old guy. He's praying his heart out. He's tired. He sits on a rock, right? I think it was probably Aaron and her finally noticed and go, hey, Moses, every time you sit down, we're losing. You sit down on that rock over there. Let us hold your hands up. And so he's praying. And then at the end of that passage in Exodus 17, there's a, there's a line that I think really symbolizes spiritual authority. The line literally in Hebrew is a hand upon the throne. And I think that's spiritual authority. It's the capacity to touch heaven and change the outcomes on earth. That is spiritual authority. But, you know, the question, of course, that story begs you to ask is how did Moses develop a relationship with God that allowed him to touch heaven and change earth? And that's the intimacy piece. And that's really where I think spiritual authority has to begin. It begins with our identity, as I said, rooted in identity. And then it's really about intimacy. We have to expand our intimacy. I might just follow up a question oh, on that. Yeah. Like, because it's interesting, like, um, you can see what gets in the way then potentially if, if, if we see this conferred identity, uh, sorry, conferred authority, um, to touch, you know, the hand touching the throne. Um, You know, we're running with a whole bunch of different scripts, many people of who we are, particularly, I guess, issues around shame and identity. How does that work against the process that you're speaking about? 
Yeah. So, of course, that's Moses problem, right? Moses has boatloads of shame in his soul. I mean, there's the shame, first of all, that he's committed murder when he was 40 and ran from it, never really processed Mm -hmm. it. But there's shame in there since his childhood. I mean, he's three years old. His parents abandoned him. Listen, I don't, I don't care how noble the purpose your parents of abandoning you is. The bottom line is you're a three-year-old. You know what? You feel rejected. You feel yeah. unwanted, unloved, abandoned. You can't make sense of that. So that's shame. You have the shame in your soul that he's adopted into a royal Egyptian household. Well, the reality is he's not treated like an equal. He's a slave kid. Mm. And the reality mm. in scripture was that Egyptians wouldn't even eat with Hebrews because they hated him. And mm. so this is the prejudice that the guy grows up under. So he has all this shame formed in his soul. So the very first time he meets God face to face, right? God actually reveals his name to him in the Exodus 3 encounter of his call. And when God reveals himself, he says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses hides his face. Mm. That's shame. Mm. Think about Adam and Eve, man. You know, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, when they sin, the first thing they do is hide, right? And so the problem with shame is shame always creates intimacy barriers. Mm-hmm. And it creates barriers between us and God and us and others. And shame is an identity-based issue that is manifest in community. So you have this identity-based wounding. And then it ends up manifest in these relational barriers with God and others. And so in order for us to get to the place where we're really rooted in identity, you have to uproot shame. Mm. Mm. That's good. (laughs) Which can be a very confronting process. But Mm. um, yeah, I haven't read all of your book, but the parts that I have read um, are so gentle in the way that they invite people, leaders into considering what that looks like to have intimacy with Jesus, but also work through a lot of that deep identity stuff. Mm. Um, Just on that, uh, what can leaders do who perhaps look back on a time that they felt the presence and they're like, yes, I know who I am in Jesus, um, but now find that intimacy calling? How can they reconnect in order to expand their spiritual authority? Yes. So one of the pieces that I would start with is to say, if you have barriers between you and God to try to figure out what they are, right? So Mm. one of my most important practices, truthfully, is when I start to feel some sort of hitch in my relationship with God, some sort of barrier, some block, I get alone with God Mm -hmm. and I usually get a block time. Mm. There, There are things in your relationship with God that you can accomplish in a block of time that you can't accomplish in a regular devotional period of time. You need a longer period of time. Now the Bible calls, you know, I mean, we call these retreats, right? So people go on retreats, they go to the desert and so forth. Jesus is modeling retreat for us all Mm -hmm. the time. He is constantly getting away, right? So you, you see Jesus getting up in the middle of the night and praying in the, in the gospel of Mark. You see Jesus going up onto a mountainside while it's early in the morning and he prays. You see him getting out into the boat. He's constantly going to places where he can be alone with his father. And I always think if Jesus, the eternal son of God without sin, needed to retreat, how much more the rest of us mere mortals yeah. We have lots of sin in our souls, right? Mm. So for me, the first place when I feel something amiss or off 
or out of alignment in my relationship with God, the very first thing I do is schedule a block time alone with God to figure it out. I go after it with all my heart. if it's in spiritual authority or pathways to the king that you mentioned you mentioned something around that too in the sense that um in a sense you can almost get into a religious rut sometimes with your practices mm. and practices are something you know we advocate at red and yep. you know spoken about i think are really important but also just noticed in the last season there was a lot of people who want to push into renewal started doing practices and many of them discovering for the first time then the pandemic hits and it's like it's hard to do the practices that you always did. And there's almost this pattern break. And a lot of people actually have struggled to reconnect with God. Mm. Um, it's like, I'm just going to do the same pattern and I'm going to expect that, you know, the same results happen. Um, you know, how can the how can sometimes good religious patterns become overtaken by the spirit of religiosity, if that makes sense? I remember you making a comment about that. Yeah. So my comment is when your routine becomes a rut, you become religious. And so the key, one of the keys really is to, to change up your routine. When your routine is really not working anymore, one of my key uh, sort of indicators in my relationship with God is when I feel like I've hit a plateau, I'm flatlining. I, anytime I hit a plateau, I need two things. One, I got to get alone with God in a larger block of time. So there's going to be some level of sacrifice, whether that's a retreat or a watch in the middle of the night or I might have to go on a fast, but I'm going to do some sacrifice. And two, I know I need to change my rhythm because my rhythm has become too much of a rut and it's not working anymore. I'm plateaued. And so literally what I do is I get along with the Lord. I just think theology 101, God is smart and he knows stuff I don't know. So I sit with the Lord and I say, okay, what do I need to change? What I'm doing is no longer working. And you know what? It used to work. These things I was doing, I was growing and now all of a sudden I'm flat, right? Mm. And so then I say to myself, okay, what do I need to change? And I ask the Lord, what do I need to change? And I wait on the Lord and then I do whatever he tells me to do. Now, mm. COVID, you know, when I hit COVID, I would say there was two things. One, um, I had fear that I didn't have pre-COVID. I, mm. I make my living by doing conferences and selling books, right? Mm. Literally after the first weekend of March, all the way through the end of October, every conference was canceled. Mm. And you know what? When you don't sell, when you don't do conferences, you don't sell nearly as many books, man. Mm. So literally, I went from selling like 300 books a week to 30 mm. one yeah. week after COVID landed really hard. And I went, I'm in trouble. Mm. And I had fear mm. for the first time in a long time about finances. And, you know, part of what happens in fear a lot of times is we get paralyzed. And so, so the first thing I had to do is I went, okay, I need to get rid of this fear. And it, mm. fear makes us incredibly self-focused. Mm. Think yeah. about how everybody started hoarding during the pandemic, right? Mm. And there were signs up in our grocery stores, you know, it said, don't hoard. There will be enough for everybody. <laughs> and everybody's 
packing stuff into their thing. And, and I'm like, okay, fear makes us selfish and self-focused. So I got to get my eyes off of me and onto Jesus. I think the greatest problem in the church today is we're making it too much about us. Mm. Too much about our ideas, our plans, and not enough about Jesus and his presence, his power, mm. and his ideas. Mm. And so I had to get my eyes off me. That was first. Then the second thing was I was flatlined. I needed to change my rhythm. So I had to deal with the soul issues that were blocking my intimacy with God. Then I had to adjust just the practices I was engaged in. Mm. I went to the Lord. I said, what do I need to do different?" And uh, he said to me, pray, and this is literally all I heard, pray a, a chapter from the epistle every day. One chapter, just pray it into your life. I've never done that practice. It ignited something inside of me. You know, but God knows. He's smart. He knows stuff we don't know. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So good. That's really, really encouraging and helpful. Um, we obviously have a lot of leaders listening and you have shared honestly in your writings um, about your decision to lead the church you were pastoring into revival and renewal. And you mentioned that earlier, that you <laughs> know that that's what's got, what God has invited you into. What wisdom would you pass on to leaders that are listening that feel led to do the same? So several thoughts. First, um, whenever I think we're making change as leaders, it's really helpful to, if you're a spiritual leader, to begin with this phrase, what is the mind of Christ? Mm. So, you know, most leaders begin by thinking, how do I do something? What do I need to do? I think the number one job of a spiritual leader is to find the mind of Christ and do it. Mm. If Jesus is truly the head of the church, then in every decision we make, that has to be our number one goal is to mm. discern the mind of Christ. Mm. So really, when you do this, yeah, say, okay, what does that look like, Jesus? How do I do this? And what are the steps and stages? Mm. So if you just preach on it without steps and stages, it's really hard to get there, right? Mm. So you got to go to the Lord. Then the second thing for me that I found to be really important was I needed some vision carriers with me. I mm. needed a team of leaders. So I think about change and when I think about change, I think about change having to occur in what I call concentric circles, right? Yeah. So your first circle is your real inner circle of leaders. And then, you know, once they're on board and they bought the vision, then there's an, a next level of leadership that needs to get addressed. And the great news, and this is how I always did it at South Shore, you know, I'd throw, I used to say, I'm going to float the idea balloon across the room. And you have the right to shoot it out of the sky. And I would hold my hands open literally and say, I'm testing this because I think God could be in this, but I'm not sure. And so I'm going to float this idea. And if it doesn't pass, that's great. Then it wasn't the Lord. But I, I want you to really pray and think with me about this to see if this could be God. Can we test this humbly? And they would, they'd shoot at it. And I would say, I've thought about that. What about this? You know, we'd interact and sometimes they'd go, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And sometimes they ask questions and I go, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. And then they'd come up with an answer. What about this? And I'd be like, that's really good. But by the time it went through that first circle, I now had a group of say eight to 12 vision carriers. When I went to that second circle of leaders, those guys were on board with me. Those guys and gals, they bought in, they had thought through it. They were kind of convinced, like, I think this is God. That gave me momentum for that second circle. I wasn't standing there alone. 
And we did the same thing. We're to float the idea balloon, shoot it out of the sky. We'd end up in these robust discussions. Sometimes it got shot down at the end of the mm-hmm. second circle. Sometimes it then went to the third circle. But we brought it out like that in concentric circles. That way there was way more buy-in. It wasn't me going to the top of the mountain, get an idea, bringing it to the people and do top down. See, that's authoritarianism again. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And what I wanted to do is lead people in this event. Mm. That's great. Mm. Yeah. As we come to an end, uh, we have a number of young leaders listening and, and many people listening, uh, or leaders of all ages, but particularly tend to be younger. Um, but uh, there's a real sense that many of them, as they you know, feedback to us, have a real heart for renewal. They want to feel the presence of God. Mm. They, there's a, dis- a disquiet with how leadership has been done. And I think even just after last season we've had in the world, there's a real sense where people um, want to step into something as, as leaders. You know, what's the one thing you would encourage, particularly a young leader listening um, who looks ahead of the leadership path and, and you know, what's one thing you would pass on to them? So I, I would say this, you know, start with your identity in Christ. Yeah. You know, this last season, if it hasn't revealed anything to us, it certainly has revealed that we are more rooted in our temporal identities than we are in our eternal citizenship. We have been more American, in our case, in America, more Republican or more Democrat or more white, black or Asian than we have been eternal citizens of heaven. And, you know, we've got a really weak rootedness in our eternal citizenship. And there's never going to be a renewal without deep heavenly rootedness. Again, Mm -hmm. spiritual authority really is rooted in identity. And our identity has become way, way too temporal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really hard to have renewal when that's the case. What I think results from that is real first love passion for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can you have renewal if Jesus isn't your first love? My question that I've been asking leaders these days, Mark, is this, you know, are you obsessed with Jesus? Because, you know, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're in love with, that's really what you're obsessed about. You know, when you first fall in love, you like, that person is on your mind. When my, some of my friends, you know, they're all getting to be grandparents, right? And every time I'm with them, all the grandbaby pictures come out, right? Because they're obsessed with the grandbabies, right? Well, here's the bottom line. You know, when you fall in love with something, you're obsessed with that thing. And so my question these days for lots of spiritual leaders is, are you obsessed with Jesus? See, when you're really rooted in your eternal citizenship and you understand the love of the Father, not cognitively, but deep in your inner being through the revelation of the spirit, you become obsessed with Jesus. And that is, according to Jesus, the first and most important commandment. Well, how can there ever be revival if we don't get the first commandment right? Mm. So I would say, really get deeply rooted in your heavenly citizenship and be obsessed with Jesus. Mm. Quit making it so much about ourselves. Mm. Oh, what an excellent spot to, <laughs> to end on. Yeah, um, yeah maybe go, uh, listeners, maybe go back and listen to this a number of times and, yeah, consider what it looks like for you to, uh, yeah, go ahead, be deeply rooted in your identity in Christ and, uh, yeah, grow in spiritual authority to lead the path to renewal. Mm. Um 
again, Rob Rima, thank you so much for joining us. There are so many books you can um, get out there and read. Uh, the ones that we refer to in today's podcast are Pathways to the King and Spiritual Authority. But there's a bunch of other ones like Soul Care, River Dwellers, Deep Faith, Calm in the Storm. Go out, read them all. Rob Rima, we thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, oh, it's been it's an a real pleasure. So- yeah. Thank you so much. It was so so fun to be with you. Thank you so much. Many Thank blessings. You. Well, thanks again for joining us for Rebuilders. We are a ministry of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, and we invite you to support us in a couple of ways. You can rate and review on your podcast platform. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can now subscribe to a mailing list that we are forming by heading to rebuilders.co. And you can also support us financially if you have been blessed and want to invest in the future of Rebuilders. That is also available on our website, rebuilders.co. We'll see you next time. 